Greetings and salutations. I'm Josh Tyson, co-author of the first best-selling book about conversational AI, Age of Invisible Machines. The book explores the learnings of 20-year conversational AI veteran and OneReach.ai CEO Rob Wilson. Each week, Rob and I bring in a guest to continue the conversation we started in the pages of our book. This week on the Invisible Machines podcast, we're talking about the composition and quality of the conversations we have with humans, our limited ability to process human speech and computer-generated speech distinctly, the tragedy of undervaluing the people who teach young humans and nascent AI models, how patient and intentional strategy can improve outcomes with disruptive technologies, and whether or not our conversations are getting better or worse at a macro level. Our guest this week is Daniel Stillman, author of Good Talk, and host of the Conversation Factory podcast. As a keynote speaker on conversation and a sought-after business and design coach, Daniel brings unique insights into the complexity present in our verbal interactions with other humans. This complexity and our biological reaction to spoken words present a daunting design challenge. This evergreen conversation about conversations was recorded back in June of this year, and we think it provides useful insights into the important work at hand right now. I mean, one thing that was really fascinating to us that we've been having a lot of conversations about lately is, is this, this role that technology can have in our lives where conversational AI in particular, instead of kind of being ever present and in your face like a screen is on a phone, it could, it could actually be something that, that pulls us away from technology a bit or pushes it into the background. And how that might improve the quality of yeah. the conversations we have with other people, whether it's by uh, freeing up more time for human-to-human -human interactions, by taking away some of the tedious tasks, or whether it's by mm. design, where you know technologies could be specifically interact or experiences could be designed that would improve the quality of the human-to-human -human interactions. It's funny. I was trying to find the talk, and I can't um, from. You know, I used to do a lot of user experience design work. I was in user experience design research and uh, strategy before I got into industrial design and then innovation and executive coaching, which is what I do now. And um, there was a talk at an early interaction design conference that I went to where this person was talking about, uh, do you know what a, a genie is, right? In the, in the, um, in, in uh, Arabic mythology, sometimes they're called jinns. They are you know, uh, creatures that have of fire that are, are drawn forth by a wish or a power, or they they can be bound to a master. And they were describing- Like Aladdin. The, this, very, very early on, this is like maybe 2010, 2011, this idea of a technological jinn, right? These uh, agents. Right. And so age, how much of it, of, of an agent has agency, right? Can we, can we send them off to do something and will they do what we really want them to do? Or will they, as sometimes genies do in the mythological stories, push back, resist, try to enslave us instead. So this is a very old story. Yeah. So this is the interesting challenge. Um, there are so many quotes about this. I know you think you heard what I think, what you think I said, but what I, what you heard I, me say isn't what I actually meant to communicate with you. There's so many, there's, it's, 
human to human conversation. That's a great way to say it because I didn't understand a word you just said. That's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> because it's like human to human conversational com, uh, collaboration is a very lossy process, right? Because there's right. like what I meant to say, all the things that I am thinking about this topic, and then there's what you heard of right. all the things that I said. Uh, the talking thinking gap is ginormous for people, right? Because I can think at 4,000 words per minute. I can only talk at 100, 120, right? You are, when you're listening to me, you're hearing yourself think too. So like the fact, this happens with human to human conversations. And I say, hey, Josh, like, can you go get me a newspaper? And you say, sure. And then you get down to the newsstand and you go, oh my God, like, wait, does Daniel need the news? Does he want cartoons? Does he want... Um, right. Uh, do you just need to pick up some dog poop? So maybe yesterday's right. paper would have been fine. <laughs> right? right. And so I think when we when we have these interactions with a piece of technology that has no agency of its own, it can be really annoying to explain what we want to a person. Yeah. Well, what yeah. I mean is this. But the ability to slow down a conversation and make sure that we know why we're doing what we're doing is so important. Yeah, we talked about this in a prior podcast. Um, it's the idea of precision, language precision, like the English language and the way we communicate is not precise enough to talk to machines. That's why coding languages exist. Like there's a precision problem. Yeah. And and when it comes to to telling machines what to do, precision really, really matters. They need precision. Um, Right. And, and yet, do we want to turn ourselves into machines in order to be able to right. um, interact with machines, right? The whole right. point of well, what you're talking about, Josh, is, well, wouldn't it be great if the robots could do the robot stuff and free us humans up to do more human things? Yeah. But if we have to become more robotic in the process, there's something lost. But Rob, I feel like there was more of a more of a question there. I, I cut no, you no. off. What, what else Got was on your mind about that? I, I was just going with like the if it's if it's precision we're after. Your point is, well, then we can't talk to machines until we can trust the machines, and so we're in a or ourselves twenty two right. Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah it, for that machine to be useful, I need to be able to talk to it efficiently, and yeah. if I need to talk to it efficiently, I need to trust it. Um. And so how do we gain trust from the machine? It's really the yeah. machine's responsibility to earn our trust, I guess, right? Um, yeah. So there's probably like a lot of like machine echoing back, like what we do when we confirm we understood something, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was just thinking about this, like the, y y like these voice commands, right? Like, um, you know, you say, hey, uh, pull the car around. Um, and, and it doesn't respond. It just does it right. Um, instead of disambiguating probably 10 or 15 different things that could affect how it pulls the car around. Um, do you want me to open the garage door? Uh, no, no. <laughs> um, and just so pull it the car around and smash through yeah, the guitar. Right, the, exactly, the garage yeah. Door. yeah, exactly. So, so, so yeah, without, with, without trusting it to make those decisions for us, um, we're kind of stuck 
having to be extremely precise in how we communicate with then throws us off of this, the elegance of just being able to talk to a machine. We've lost a lot of the value because in talking to people, we get, we get to make these assumptions and trust them. Um, Yes, I agree. And, and trust and power are related, right? So power, when you think about conversations and what they're made of and how human conversations are designed, there was a quote in your book that I really enjoyed. Um, it was from Judith Judith um, Shulovitz in the New Republic, where she was basically saying that humans can't really distinguish in the moment our two hundred thousand years of just being conversationalists, yeah. accidental conversationalists. When 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 we see when we hear speech, we use our whole brains to process it as speech, and it we don't really distinguish between human speech from a human and computer generated speech. And, and there's both amazing aspects to that. And I think there's real risks associated with that because we've literally given these, um, very rudimentary systems, the ability to hack one of the things that makes us the most human. Right. And we're, and we're giving it tremendous power in, in the, to, to be able to talk with us directly, to be able to do things for us, to be able to communicate with them. And so I think it's it's really important. I, I I studied up on you guys. I went on your website and I loved this quote of like, no bots without a strategy. <laughs> like, yeah. let's, and, and a few years ago, there was this, this like, let's make mm-hmm. a bot, right? Why not? Yeah. We can now, yeah. right? And we've been able to do it for a really long time. Uh, I think it was Joseph Weisbaum. It's like 1964, he made Eliza which was just all it did was computerized active listening. Right. Like the lowest form of listening, which is like, which I can do while reading an article and drinking my coffee and slightly ignoring my wife when she says something. And she's like, wait, did you hear me? I can use a part of my brain to just repeat back the last five words enough to get me out of trouble. Right. Like we've all done this, right? Yeah. So we can all, like, it's very low-grade uh, neural language processing to be able to spit back what you said and say, is that right? And ask a follow-up question. But Eliza was addictive. I don't, like, uh, Weissman's secretary, like, locked herself in the room with Eliza because Eliza was fun to talk to because yeah. it felt like being heard and listened. That's all it could do. It, and and Weissman hated Eliza because Eliza had nothing to say of her own. And I think this is one of the interesting challenges. Human to human conversation is very difficult as it is. We we all think that we know how to do it because we've just learned at our mother's and father's knees. We've learned yeah. in school. But you and I, you we all know, and everybody who's listening to this knows that like, I mean, I don't have to quote the the statistics, but I will, (laughs) right? How many meetings are happening a day in America alone? How many hours of, of a human capital are being spent on dialogues that are, and if you ask any executive to rate, uh, their meetings and to rate the meetings, meetings of other people, the numbers don't exactly add up. People are like, yeah, my meetings are great. And then other people say, everyone's <laughs> meetings are awful, which means that we're all mis-evaluating our own ability to lead conversations. So human conversations are important. Yeah. It's how we decide to make anything. 
it's how we agree on things. It's the fundamental unit of change or transformation. It's a hugely important leadership skill to be able to host a dialogue about an important issue or topic. It does not come for free. Yeah. And yet we expect to be able to like snap our fingers and take something that we, we barely understand to just yeah. do exactly what we want. But we had to raise a person for, was it Dylan said 20 years of schooling and they put you on the day shift. Like you need someone, right. it takes a long time to, to raise a person who can be as thoughtful as we need them to be. And it's, and we still screw up. Yeah. When you say raise a person that kind of, I, I keep going back to like, why do we feel so compelled to name these things and befriend them? Right. <laughs> like I, I, like I get that we do and I, and I can appreciate that it's fun. Like, it's not like I'm looking from the outside going, I don't get why people feel this way. Like I feel that way. I, I, I feel instinctively like I want to name something and, and have fun with it. And I'm like, but why is this, is this because we have this sensational need to replicate? Like, is this just a form of mm. procreation? Right. Where it's like, sure. like, okay, babies, baby bots. Like, I don't care. I just want, you know, I just want to bring life into the world. And if, and if, and if I'm just going to do it through yeah. like, like, like engineering one or, or, you know, the, the, the well, more I mean, fun there's way. an interesting aspect. What, what's coming up for me, Rob, is like raising a person is a lot of work. Oh, yeah, and on, yeah. on my podcast, which I interview people about how they design human conversations, uh, I had my friend Eve Rodsky on. She wrote a book called Fair Play, which is about how uh, work in the home is not evenly divided. Uh, women still do more work in the home and women's work, quote unquote, and women's work is less valued than men's work. I mean, literally, we know this. And one of the interesting challenges, like people, teachers, the people who care for and raise children are not well paid. Similarly, the people who actually train AI are not well paid. You think about all yeah. of the people who had to wade through morasses of uh, uh, pornographic and extremely violent imagery in uh, developing economies so that we could say something is or isn't a hot dog. Right. You know, so I think know, there's like a lot of ethical like concern. Railroad, you know, with all those railroad workers and we're like, the the first picture is of all the 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 white guys who like who who stood in front of like the the railroads finally done look at look who did it and then you like right no no image of the people that actually did it and we're like yeah they're on hand to again. drive in the final same, spike same idea <laughs> yeah. yeah right yeah, hooray yeah. and so that's an important conversation and mm -hmm. similarly I think the people who are coaching and training and, and educating these AIs, for example, like in a corporate context, which, uh, you know, you say like, okay, a conversational agent is going to help me be more efficient. As you were asking Josh earlier when we kicked us off, like a conversational agent is going to call me cause I'm a, I'm, I'm a call service professional and it's going to bring up stuff that I need as I need it. And it's going to make me more efficient and effective. I was reading recently that Basically, those AIs get trained on the best um, employees, and the less good employees are the ones that benefit the most. Right. And this is this again becomes a question of capitalism, right? Because if I'm being paid, if I'm being um, evaluated based on my performance, am I being paid to train this AI, and do I get uh, royalties in perpetuity for how helpful this is? for all of the other employees 
I think it's it's a really interesting question, and honestly, I don't know uh, if because it's it's not my field. I'm not in the rooms where these things are being designed, but I have a feeling these conversations are not having happening enough. Yeah, or not being taken seriously. Uh, yes, or not yeah. being taken seriously. Yeah, where everybody fits into this cycle <laughs> yeah. is a tough one, right? It's, <laughs> it's yeah. like, where, where, yeah, if I automate myself out of a job, where do I get? Uh, right. Yeah. It's a really, it's it's a it's a really good question, right? And uh-huh. and and no one's promising anything right now. Like, I, I, the no only one promise, has promised anything. Yeah. The only the only in, implied promise is, well, you get you get the benefit of being unemployed. Yeah. That's. You know, that's that's what's liberating you're at first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, um, you brought something up that I want to dig into around conversation. Mm. So so, you know, why don't why don't want why don't people get paid more to have conversations with kids? <laughs> right? Oh, man. <laughs> well, it because yeah, it's, that's a it's really boring? interesting connection. <laughs> like, yeah. are we just all. Yeah. Like, okay. well, I mean, if you really have a conversation with a kid, I- I've actually gotten this compliment before where uh, somebody said like, oh, you talk to so-and-so, their tiny son or daughter, like they were a person. I'm like, well, they are a person. They're just a small person with less agency and less skills, reason, and experiences in me, but they are people. And if you ask them a question, I love making them, I love watching little kids think. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the short answer is sexism, Rob. The short answer is patriarchy. I mean, women's work and femme coded things are just get less valued in a, in a fundamentally patriarchal capitalist society. It's not fun to say these words. No, but it's yeah. at the expense of but our I, kids, right? Like, you know, it's a yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, right. People it's, are like, oh, well, you're just a glorified babysitter. I'm like, well, if you took babysitter hours and you multiplied one kid per hour times 30 kids, Teachers right. should be making astronomical salaries when you consider the fact that they're raising right. the future of the nation. I was just going to, my parents are both elementary school teachers and just like the, it's insane what they're being asked to do these days. Like how much, how much they're being entrusted to do. Yes, and then it the, is. the dangers of being yeah. in a classroom now too with, with school yeah. shootings. I mean, it's unreal what's being asked. But of some them. elementary so it's not surprising teacher, that like, people are kind of moving away from that profession. Uh, and that's a really bad right. thing. No, yeah. not at all. But some elementary teacher, uh, you know, was President Biden's elementary teacher, right? They were, they were raising yeah. the future president. So, so yeah, menial job or not, which one? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. now, like, we could look at the the power of a conversational AI or a, a, an invisible machine, as you all put it, to amplify the capacity of of one per, of one great person. Yeah, right, and and certainly. I've seen some of the systems where, you know, if you, if you look at somebody who's who's trying to serve a large group of people and that you can send out a bunch of messages and uh, pings and farm some of the basic responses and then the human can handle the most uh, human needing ones, there can be great benefit in that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Years ago, I was working with a founder who was building a system where you could have coaches who were uh, working with uh, kids who were at risk, you know, first generation attendees of college to give them that kind of coaching where they could just send text messages to hundreds and hundreds of kids who are in the system 
and then just work their way up the tree where if they needed help, then they could help lots more people. That's a piece of technology. You're like, wow, that's really great. That's super transformative. And it's enabling human conversation to be uh, amplified yeah. and multiplied. And what I think is really important, and this is going again to the, the concept I, I was getting from your website around, like, what is our strategy? There's this concept. So in my, I, I mainly work as, as an, an executive coach to business owners and to founders. And, and this, it's just because like, I enjoy those types of conversations. I like to slow down. I like to be focused on inquiry versus, you know, what's next, right? Because that's reflexive. Like, what are we going to do versus, well, why? And everyone needs a time and a space to slow down and understand why they're trying to create what they're really trying to create. There's a concept called triple loop learning. Everyone can Google it. There's hundreds of diagrams on this. It comes from... Um, a whole bunch of smarter people than me, like Chris Argyris, who who wrote lots of books around organizational learning. And there's this idea of like, there's what I want to get, my goal. And then there's like, what can I do to get to my goal? And often people just stop in with single loop learning. Like, and when we're driving, single loop learning is great because you're going down the road and if you're about to hit the left side of the railing, you swerve to the right. If you're going to the right, you swerve to the left, you keep yourself in the middle. But it's very easy to get caught in a reactive loop of doing the same things and not getting the results we need. We need to take a step back in the second loop of triple loop learning is, am I thinking the right thoughts? Do I have the right framework to do the right things to get what I want to get? <laughs> and if we're not, um, you know, the best example I know of of thinking is like, we've all been caught in an insanity loop of emailing someone over and over again. Hey, did you see my previous request for blah, blah, blah? And we just keep doing the same things over and over again and never getting what we want to get. Well, that's interesting. We have to it, think. We have to empathize. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was, that's interesting because it feels... Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it feels like um, at the top of some organizations, when it comes to their relationship with technology, there is like a bit of that single loop learning where, where they're not like really thinking through... Yes. And so th this is kind of a, a thing that we brought up a lot on this podcast. So we're kind of looking for an answer for it. And, and I think you might be equipped to provide it, having coached many executives, is is how do we get, is there a way to get these people into that like triple loop learning where they're, they're thinking about this technology more holistically and then also realizing that to properly implement it, you have to do things that run counter to the ways businesses are accustomed to running in terms of like your approach to risk, and what yeah. sort of rewards you're going to see in the short term and what you might see long yeah. term. It's such an important question, Josh. And it, again, this doesn't come for free because it is very um, natural, I think. Uh, having good reflexes, there is always the quick and there's the dead. And we have a long history of uh, to be grateful for. Our ancestors who, when tigers appeared, they said, ah, a tiger right? And ran, did something about it. But we're not living in a tiger situation anywhere, uh, mainly in some of the contexts that we're talking about in business. We are in a do loop. Single loop learning can be very, very reactive. It is not strategic. For that, we need to go to the triple loop, which is how do I want to be with this, right? What do I really aspire to? What am I really trying to create here? And 
I think um, machines can't help us with vision. I I, I saw a cartoon recently where um, there was an AI, it was a robot sitting in front of a painting and the thought bubble on the robot was, God, I suck. And just... the title was, When AI Truly Became an Artist. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. the, the artist's ability to be like, ah, that is not what I wanted. This sucks. Like I wanted to make something better than this. Yeah. Right. There's a vision, there's hunger, there's a desire. And if we're not actually trying to create a better world and however we define better, more egalitarian, Vision. more just, more, uh, verdant, more peaceful, uh, I think we're not going to get it unless we are a hundred percent focused on the world we're trying to create. We are not going to create it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you all know, strategic intent is just the first stage of then making sure we keep our eyes on the prize. There's nothing wrong with the do loop. You, you got to do the right things in order to get the things right. Right. Absolutely. But we have to make sure we're building the right things before we try to get them right. And I think that kind of um, strategic thinking requires a lot of patience that we don't really have yeah. in abundance not now and certainly not for the last several hundred years, right? Because we've been caught in the do loop. Yeah, there's, I mean, you can't sort of speak about iterative learning without addressing the feedback loop, right? Yeah. Um, you know, just like machines learn, feedback kind of, as you pointed out, you're, the model is only as good as the feedback. Um, yes. And, uh, and, and that feedback's required to tune the model and get it right and to make it useful. Yes. And and our brains 100%. are no different, right? We need that feedback loop. So so I think that's one it's one of the the like um qualities of conversation that mm. is necessary in order for any person trying to achieve any goal um to have yes. conversations that where they get the right feedback. And I always think about myself. It's so easy to enjoy being told you're right and to surround yourself with people. Isn't it though? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. It happens so and, rarely for me. Tell me what it's like, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Well, I designed a bot to do it for me. So it's, yeah, it's great. And it, it Rob does gets it that flawlessly no matter time. how wrong I am. I should totally have a bot that just calls me every morning and says, you're good enough, you're smart enough. Oh yes, the Stuart Smalley bot. Like you, that would be mine great. just says yeah. you're the smarter Stuart, than Josh. The Smalley bot, yeah. You're smarter than Josh. You're smarter than Josh. Yeah, yes. and his says you know the opposite. Um, no, um, no, I have this bot. Right, we want to be told we're right. It feels great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Except, except, except when we find out we were actually wrong. Yeah. Right, and and then and then it's embarrassing as hell. Um, because we because we became so certain from that feedback. Yeah. So. You know, bad data versus no data, right? Um, and yeah. and yet we do surround ourselves, oftentimes with what feels good when we need to surround ourselves with something that's accurate. Um, mm -hmm. And so, as you mm -hmm. point out, like planning conversations, one of those components should be about getting honest, accurate yes. feedback. And and the question is, but how do you create an environment? where uh, it's a competitive environment, 
everybody perceives you're the re- you're the giver of the reward system, right? So you're it's not an AI, right? It's not an algorithm that decides who gets a raise or who gets a promotion. It's a person. And we know that people are often affected by emotion. They are, right? We know this. Um, and so now I want, do I want, uh, do I want to give this person negative feedback knowing that my future and, and the, the quality of the school that my kid goes to is in their hands and, or do I want an AI where I feel like I can give honest feedback to it and it's not going to take it personally? Um, and does that make for a better world? Uh, if that makes any sense. Um, it does. It does. It's a really important question. My dad always told me to say what is true and to say what is kind. Generally avoid saying things that are untrue and unkind, uh, that are kind but untrue. Mm. Right? So those those are a set of heuristics that I was, you know, that programmed me, my conversational operating system, such as it is, right? And yet we know that sometimes we have to give people direct feedback in the right context at the right time. It's a really, really interesting question, right? This Kim Scott wrote a, a whole book about this, right? Cause we want to, we don't want to be ruinously empathetic, right? We don't want to give people, um, we don't want to blow smoke up of anybody's butt, right? Her whole book, radical candor is based on one heuristic that says, okay, be radically candid with someone. And that takes a real, it takes guts to be able to do that in a difficult moment. I don't know if um, that psychological safety is basically what you're also talking about as well, right? So um, Amy Edmondson was written uh, extensively about this idea of psychological safety. Like it is a leader's job to create a context within the conversational system that is an executive team within an operational team to be able to say what is going on and to feel that it's safe to say it, right? Amy Edmondson pointed out, it's like if I'm in a surgical situation and and the surgeon says, does this ask me for something and I'm one of his attending nurses or I'm, you know, some other person who's quote unquote subordinate, and I just say yes without, and just, wait, I don't think that's right. I've got a feeling I'm having a conversation with myself at 4,000 words per minute, and I'm weighing the pros and cons of speaking up versus staying silent. Uh, speaking up is a skill, but also creating the psychological safety that people feel like it is okay to speak up. Again, these are, it really is worth investing in a positive conversational operating system for a team in an organization. I don't know if uh, you could program a bot, Rob, to give you good feedback to say you're doing great and to cool at you, or you could program it to give you brutal feedback and tell you everything that's wrong with your work, but you're asking for it in both contexts. Right, right, exactly. Right. And, and, and you don't and ascribe so, more meaning than... Than exist, no, right? no, indeed, you don't. Mm-hmm. And so what we're talking about is what happens when somebody does not know that they have broccoli in their teeth? Man, they don't just... know that their zipper's down, right? 
No, you just say, hey, Josh, you, you got got broccoli in your teeth. Barn doors open, right? Oof. We just we just do them a solid, right? Um, but it's harder when it's something that's about them. And sometimes we actually have to be radically candid. We can't just say, hey, did you have broccoli recently, Josh? Why, <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, yeah. That's that's maybe a softer way to get into, uh, hey, can I give you some feedback? The worst phrase ever uttered, right? Like, no, yeah. I don't want any feedback from you. Thank you very yeah. much. So how do we set up a system that gives us feedback when we don't want it and we're not looking for it? I don't yeah. know if a, of an invisible machine or a visible machine can do that for us because it's hard to do it as a person. Mm -hmm. We've had this interesting boy, experience. Boy, boy, do we need it. Oh, definitely. Um, we, we have a headquarters in Kiev and there's a coffee shop on the first floor that's, that's used by the team members and it's also open to the public. And... Um, Shout out to Anna and Helen who run it, but they they actually use the platform that we have to automate all the stuff that they hate doing. And it turns out that a lot of the stuff they've automated yes. are kind of the things that a manager would normally have to do, um, like telling you know yes. giving people reminders of task lists. And what they've realized is that yeah. with the bot doing mm -hmm. that, they don't really need a managerial hierarchy. And to what we were just talking about, it it creates more space where they they don't feel negatively towards a bot that's asking them to do things. So then the the person who's being asked to do yeah. something doesn't feel resentful. And then there's no one having to put themselves in that position of making that request and kind of creating the power dynamic right. that, frankly, you can do better without in a lot of cases. It, so I wonder if Josh, there are you make like, a yes, valid point. Oh, wait, Rob, you're going to say more about that. I, I was just going to say that that because they meet once a week and decide that that the bot's gonna, you know, hold them accountable to X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. They they know the motivation. They know where the motivation, it's transparent. They don't have to guess yes. about any subliminal motivations yes. behind the designer of it. Like who designed this or did, did they have yeah. motivations that were not pure, but it was them that decided. Collectively, they tend to make better decisions about how yeah to manage people versus just as individuals deciding how they want to be managed. So this is different from, this is like the shared bot psychology versus this personal assistant, right? Personal assistant, you're, you're sort of telling the bot on, or the, or the AI, really the IDW as to what, how you want to be managed. Right. And, and you may be softer on yourself, but when you collectively decide, uh, to a, a jointly owned entity that's going to hold you all accountable. Um, you and and as a group, you decide, you know, what things you want to be held accountable for. You tend to make yes. wiser decisions together, and you tend and then you and then you don't question its motivation when when that moment comes to say, hey, you forgot to clean the coffee machine. You got to go back and clean it. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 gentlemen make a very valid and interesting point, and I I've been doing some reading. There are some people who look at well, what is automatable in the, in the system that is an or, an organization, and have come to the same conclusion that management a lot of the things that management does is quite automatable, which maybe means it frees, uh, as you pointed out earlier, Josh, the some portion of the management brain to do what is uniquely human which is to dream about what we are really trying to create, what we really want to do. Right? Because 
looking at the at the the receipts of the last several weeks and trying to figure out how much we should reorder is something that a machine can do, right? But mm-hmm. figuring out, well, do we want to grow? Do we want to expand? Well, where do we want to have another location? Now, a bot might be able to crunch the data and say, well, here are, here are the best locations based on, you know, where real estate prices are going to go in blank years. But what kind of a business somebody wants to have is their decision. Right. Right. Yeah. And this is this is the classic. Um, I feel like a lot of, I don't know if you guys have read the E-Myth. It's one of these business while, novel yeah. Yeah. classics. Yeah, it's been out there. And here's why it's still good, Josh. It's about inner work. Yeah. It's about this idea that we have parts of ourselves that are in conflict. We have bots inside of ourselves. I We all have a fully formed simulation of most of our caregivers, right, that are telling us what we should and we shouldn't do, what we want, what we like. This also goes to, um, have you guys read um, Mimetic? Uh, uh, I think it's Luke Burgess. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Mimetic Desire, I think. I might be getting the title wrong. But it's just this general idea that most of what we want is uh, we are miming what we think other people want, that we've inherited our wants and, and our needs in the same way that I think we've inherited our conversational habits, right? Grow at all costs is an idea that when a person is actually inside of growing at all costs, they get to a point where they say, wait a minute, I don't want to grow at all costs. I was just talking to an entrepreneur who just fired his biggest client because they were a pain in the ass. Yeah. Right. And as soon as he fired that client, he brought on like two or three others who were not pains in the asses. Right. And uh, more than made up for what uh, he was uh, getting from that other client. Yeah, it's like our brains those are, are- Those are human decisions. Yeah. yeah, it's like our brains are generative AIs, right? And we've sucked in the they, data- They are. Of listening to all these other people. And then we're word prediction. We're generating the next word as we're talking, as I'm doing right now. But we have to ask ourselves why we want what we want. Right. And sometimes we have it to comes ask ourselves our what it is we really want. And we don't even know why we said it. Well, I, I, Correct. I generated that from hearing it, but I don't actually mean it. Yeah. Right? I, that, that, well, that was just <laughs> my word prediction. You know, that was autocomplete. <laughs> well, and you know why, Rob? So when we talk about designing conversations, you know, I feel like if I don't plug my book, what kind of a, a thought leadership uh, bullshit industrial complex person am I? Sorry, if I, I didn't ask. We didn't talk about whether or not I can say those words. No, absolutely. But, um, <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. yeah. But like... Yeah, kids don't watch Conversations have... Conversations have an operating system. I, I think everyone has to decide for themselves what do I think are the elements that I can shift? Am I am I getting what I need out of my operating system? I made a canvas in my book, Good Talk. It, it's not definitive. It's based on some of my research and some of my experience of what is are the easiest to see and easiest to shift of those elements. But each of us has to decide, am I getting what I need out of the conversations with myself, with other people? Um the data is, and it's very weird, you know, we can speak at 4,000 words per minute, as I mentioned before, but the gap, the, 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 the acculturated gap in our, in our human operating system of conversation, this is cross-cultural by and large, even with sign language, the, the space between when I'm ending my talk, my talk, what I'm saying, and when you feel like you ought to say something is around 200 milliseconds. 
So we have a, that is a gun going off at a start. That's a starter pistol going off and uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey being off the blocks. That is really fast. Right. And so we are all under this immense pressure to right. respond. Now the joke is, Rob, it takes us each, even though we can think at 4,000 words per minute, it easily can take us about 600 milliseconds to formulate a response which means there's like four milliseconds of garbage on one end or the other. So usually what's happening is most of us are thinking about what we're going to say because we're trying to guess where the person is going because that's a survival mechanism because we had to anticipate what mom and dad wanted. We had to figure out, does this bully mean me harm or not? Right? We're, we're constantly like a missile projection uh, trajectory system. Like we're just trying to figure out like, Where's this conversation going? Yeah. Is it safe? Is it unsafe? Is it is it cool? Is it uncool? Like, and I'm formulating my response, and in 200 milliseconds, I have to deploy. And mm -hmm. so, to me, I think one of the most important elements of a conversation to redesign is the cadence, the pace of conversations. Mm. Yeah, this to this, slow them down. This concept of our brains being prediction machines. Um, to it's a super interesting conversation because. It, I think a lot of people attach that to free will. By the way, Rob, 200 milliseconds, you were off the mark right there. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flojo. That was my prediction machine like at work right there. Um, you were off there like Flojo. Yeah. It is super hard to just sit with silence. So if there's yeah. one wish I could wish for everyone if they were redesigning their conversations is to get a little bit more... I mean, we don't want silence on a podcast. It's dead air, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds... It makes us tense. Yeah. If we were to set a timer for uh, 30 seconds of silence, We'd be like, well, I think yeah, we had like weird. a good two seconds just, of silence not earlier, and we all kind of were like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> what are we doing?" And <laughs> yeah, then the right. other side, like yeah. using yeah, these I, remote I, tools, I, has a wrinkle too because, like, what yeah. just happened? Like, I start talking, and then mm -hmm. like the audio is keeping yep. up. So yeah, this, this yes. conversation yeah. is being we, designed. Well, and in this real is time. error and repair. This is another element of of conversations that we all have to manage when we bump into each other. That's the most obvious error to fix. But other errors of like, well, why did you, you didn't, like, I, I, am I going to jump to conclusions and assume you meant the worst and say, what do you mean <laughs> when you said that, right? The classic, like, um, hey, you look good in that dress. Uh, somebody gets to like, well, I don't look good in all my other dresses. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> right. That's like, sometimes people are just uh, programmed to assume the worst of yeah. every statement. Yeah. And we can, so I think a lot of us have to, I myself ask myself this all the time, like, am I, are my, my reflexes, my, my prediction engine, as you said, Rob, right? Is it getting me what I want and need out of my life and my work? And if we're just caught in a 200 millisecond reflexive do loop, we're never going to actually, it's stochastic. Maybe we'll get where we want to go, but I think it really, for human conversations, and again, this is why I like the work I do as a coach, it's like, it necessitates we're going to block off a big chunk of time and slow down and take and look at at the big picture yeah. and take a deep breath because we don't ever really have the opportunity to do that and i think it's important yeah, yeah. how much do you think um how much do you think conversation is about competing competition versus cooperation versus mm. actually just um yeah, uh, you know, kind of setting competition aside and just wanting to get something out of it. 
how much yeah, of it is well, ego. I would be hard you pressed didn't. to give you a statistic, but I, what I can tell you is what I would frame as conversational leadership is the ability to create the t conditions for a transformational conversation. Is it? To invite just the simple phrase of, I want to talk about this and I don't want to talk about that. Right? I want to appreciative inquiry. I don't know if you guys have, you know, design thinking is one of these mimetic things that's out there. We, so a lot of people have heard about design thinking. Appreciative inquiry is a, a sister from another mister of design thinking, which only seeks to ask, what is alive and functional in this system? It doesn't look for flaws. It says, what's great? And then how can we amplify what's great? Yeah. That's a different lens. You could say, it's oh, it's rose-colored. And how could anything possibly uh, improve if all we do is look at what's good? But the truth is, giving people positive feedback is neurologically beneficial. And giving people negative feedback, going to our earlier point, is actually really hard for people to process. Yeah, There's the famous story of uh, Coach Landry, who decided that he was only going to play uh, back the good plays for the Dallas Cowboys and it made them into a winning team. I'm only going to play your, your best plays and you're going to watch your best plays and you're going to tell me why they were great and how, and, and we're going to make sure that you rewire what's great. So how often are we having cooperative versus, um, combative conversations in my, I could give you a number for my life. Um, I like to try and find a win-win. By the way, I, I actually asked on behalf of one of my coaching clients a while ago, I asked ChatGPT, I was like, how do you win a power struggle? I was curious what it would do. Uh, and it and because ChatGPT is programmed to be pro-social, it said, well, you know, the objective of a power struggle, you, you really can't win a power struggle. Huh. Dummy. It didn't say that. But it was like, hey, you know, take a deep breath, find a win-win. Right. So I, in my conversation operating system, am also pro-social and I am usually trying to find a win-win. And I would like to lead a conversation by and large that's focused on positive outcomes that benefit both, both or all parties, because I know that those are the lasting outcomes. Your question, Rob, do we have the ability as uh, everyone here can speak in any conversation we have? Can we speak up and say, where's the win-win? Yeah, what yeah. are we really trying to do here? Is this um, a, uh, you know, a boasting competition or are we trying to, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to fish or cut bait? Are we going to try to, you know, argue over who's the best fisherman without actually demonstrating it? So I think we have, I hope, I hope, I believe that we all have the power to redirect conversations towards uh, productive conflict, if that's what's required, or... Um, uh, thoughtful debate, if that's what we want, or uh, generative collaboration, if that's what's needed. Right. And it's up to each one of us to decide what it is. And for this is the thing about conversation design. We are all designing our conversations all the time, but we are all co-designing them. So I could say, hey, I'd like to have productive debate. And somebody could say, oh, I'm, I'm conflict averse. They may not say that out loud, but they'll say it inwardly and they'll push back. So all of us really have alignment. Agreement is so important. Yeah, when we're it, designing human it feels conversations, like if you can, we we have to get on the same page. Wait, if you if you can strip out some of that competitive nature of a conversation, then I think it can become more cooperative. Uh, I think it's in your book. You talk about right one method to approaching a meeting is like the Quaker style, where where literally people, everyone just sits yeah. in silence until they're they feel the need, like they Josh, feel true insight. Book. I love like, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's yeah. a, you feel inspiration well, coursing through you, and you're like, I need to speak. And I, mean, I that, know that about I the love space, that you you found that. Well, I, I love that because I, I I was yeah. like, having a conversation with one, one of our team members who uh, was raised Quaker. Uh, he he told me about those meetings, so I instantly was thinking about it. But you know that that's an oh. awful lot of space to create in a meeting. But uh-huh. earlier we were talking about this idea of space, and I feel like you know machines can't really give us vision, perhaps, but they can, I think, no. help us set the stage for achieving or creating vision by creating conversational uh, spaces where maybe people feel more comfortable, uh, they're more at ease, they're ready to share, they're prompted to share in ways that might even be personalized to things they're working on. Like there's a lot of kind of high level sure. ways that machines can do things invisibly that then allow people to like truly collaborate and co-create uh, on these different levels, which I think is really exciting. Well, you, you, it is interesting. And, and you're talking about something a little bit different, which is can a automated system run a conversation for me based on set patterns and and people have worked on like computerized facilitation like you could do a, com- a, a an automated facilitator and i think somebody designed a basic bot for like the three body problem of like Isn't... hey let me balance participation because it can measure the three or four people in a conversation and it can give you the data it can repeat back to it can show you okay josh has spoken this amount Rob's spoken this amount and Daniel's spoken this amount. And I remember uh, I was, I had one of these systems, our early model of the system on when I was in a, a coaching conversation with me, I was getting coaching and it was flashing. This thing it was like bright yellow. It was like, Hey, you've been speaking for like 60% of the time. You're hogging the floor. And it didn't know that I was supposed to be the one doing most of the speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we have a. We, we and have, it was distracting me from being in the conversation by saying, like, by the way, shut up. You're hogging yeah. the floor. And I was like, shut up. Right. I was being told, this is my coaching call. And yeah. this AI is just bluntly telling me, by the way, did you know you're, you're hogging talking the floor? A lot. Yeah, we, we have a, we have a, we have an IDW we call Ditto. Um, it sits in on all of our conversations. Uh, it, uh, even sits in on this one. And, at the end of it, the it, it kind of gives you a conversation summary. But one of the objectives is that we actually create a diagram. Uh, it, it's like a graph diagram that that it shows the speakers, shows the people, the attendees as yeah. as circles, and then the connection uh, between the the attendees are essentially um, the, yeah. the who's talking to who, and and who's doing most of the talking. And the size of the bubble represents who's talked the most. And the goal is to mm-hmm. just, it, it's not making like, like in, in, in your example, it's, it's coming to a conclusion, right? It, in this case, uh, it's not drawing a conclusion. It's, it's just reflecting what happened. Now you, you draw the conclusion. If your bubble is the biggest and everyone else is the smallest, but that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not, right. it's not assigning positive or negative to that, but but it creates awareness. And if that's okay, that's okay. You'll ignore it. If it's not okay, yeah. you'll start to realize that time and time again, your bubble's the biggest and everybody else is the smallest with an idea of, of just saying, look, this might be okay or not. We don't, as as the intelligent worker, we're not passing judgment here, but we right. are reflecting now- to you this and this and this does change behavior. Just, just, just the mirror, right? 
Yeah, and there are um, conversational coaching robots that will start to give you that feedback over time. Hey, by the way, did you notice that blank? If you tell it what your intent is and how you how you want to grow. I think one of the interesting challenges for me, though, I, I use a tool called Grain that uh, transcribes automatically all of the coaching conversations that I have with my clients. And recently, it's gotten a lot smarter. Right now, uh, it makes a summary. It will make a, like a summary paragraph of what the conversation was about. And, uh... and then we'll produce about 10 or so uh, time codes in the conversation of like what it summarizes or, or what it thinks are particularly interesting points. And it'll also produce action items. Now, this is great. You could say, Josh, and Josh, I think you would say, well, isn't this great? Isn't this helping me do more? And I would say, yes, and, and yes, but. What I, what I always ask my clients to do is to spend some time deciding for themselves what their key insights and what their key actions are from the conversation. Yeah. Like I try to do that in the conversation. We, we often do that in the conversation. But I know that what the hand does, the mind remembers. In user experience design, we have this concept of de-skilling. If we make something so easy for people, they no longer know how to do it for themselves. And so one of the challenges I'm, I think I'm having with this tool is that it makes it so easy that they're like, yep, yeah, that's what the conversation was about. Because the AI has decided that that's what the conversation was about. Uh -huh. But you get to decide what the conversation was about for you. Right. I want people to do that work because it's hard, because making meaning is important. And each, they need to decide for themselves. What does that conversation mean to me? And I think this is one of the challenges that with these invisible machines, with these uh, intelligent digital agents, uh, that we make sure that we retain our fundamental human skills as conversation designers to, to and meeting makers, that we don't uh, let those skills atrophy, because I think that would be... Um, uh, as we say in my, my people would say it's a, it'd be a Shonda. That's, a Shonda. that's Yiddish for, it's a shame. It would be, yeah. a sh it would be a Shonda. Shonda's yeah. like deeper than a shame. Oh, what a Shonda. <laughs> it would be a real shame. Can feel the weight. If somehow we lost the ability to synthesize and, and all sorts of tools are doing this. Mural, um, who I've partnered with for years, they've, and they're they wonderful digital whiteboard technology. They can summarize the sticky notes for you too. Yeah. But I, I think it's so easy to take the AI's first pass yep. yeah. and to to deeply interrogate and to decide for ourselves, do I agree or disagree? Which is what any good uh, fifth grade teacher would ask you to do Yeah, when writing an essay. Like, disagree with this statement, right? right. Really to spend the time to formulate an argument mm -hmm. about this for yourself because that's how we learn and that's how we grow. Yeah, Anyway, yeah. I know... Um, what have we talked about that we should talk about? We're we're running up on, on time, gentlemen. I I I've enjoyed chatting with you all. Yeah, I mean we. Could I mean, I'll stick around all day if you want. I'm a, I'm a conversational machine. I'm a conversational machine, <laughs> guys. Right Indeed. Okay. So you're yeah, no real. AI is going to catch That's, you. Wow, it is getting better. Yeah. I am a simulation. What's well, interesting thinking of Shonda's, uh, because I feel like, you know, social media was was proposed to like bring people closer together. Uh, that was sort of the initial promise of it oh. in some ways. And then I guess the shot it would be that 
it seems to have driven people apart. We, we've forgotten how to have like real meaningful conversations. We, a lot of people just are inclined to live in these echo chambers and these bubbles, uh, which is very problematic, uh, but it uh, feels yeah. like we're at a moment where we can, we can flip the script. We can find ways to use conversational technology to hopefully enable people to have more meaningful interactions with one another. You yeah. know, Rob and I, we often cite the movie Her yes. as, a, as an example of right. eh, like what interactions with this technology would look like in that it's multimodal, right? It's an operating system. It sees eh, on his little eh. pocket camera. It can show him things on any screen. It talks him through an earbud. But I think w- where that movie gets dark in a way is that it, it overtakes his need to like have relationships with other people. So I, I think yes. that that element it is scary in a way because it feels like the the goal yeah. might in in a lot of applications obviously there's situations where you'd want another thing but like is to have technology kind of as as out of the way as possible facilitating but it's really uh, helping you connect conversationally yeah. with others i i wonder people that people should that... read more science fiction by the way like, i know there's yes. there's so much wisdom isaac asimov wrote in like the 40s about a society that just like once a year one person would like place one vote and would be asked a couple of questions yeah. that person was chosen at random by the the by the automaton that ran the whole society they'll just pick one person at random and say hey i'm gonna ask you some questions and then you're off you don't need yeah. like your coffee shop yeah yeah i don't think that was i think that was a cautionary tale yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're about to start a book I, I, club so with vonnegut's uh, uh, player piano which we realize <laughs> is about automation yeah. So <laughs> yeah feel free to join yeah one one thing I I don't want to I don't want to leave this conversation without asking I had this on my on my to do list to cover, um, in huh. in the world we um we often get caught in the moment life's getting worse everything's getting worse we're you know you know uh, we're on a tailspin blah 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 right but then when you look statistically on a macro level you know there's less starvation people are living longer you know really there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful and there's a lot of reasons yeah. uh, from a data perspective to say that life is getting better uh for for yeah, the for, hans for rosling people. uh right uh principle that... yeah so so our conversations at a macro level getting better though like yeah social media is like but really if we look back and you say okay um you know in, it, it over time long periods of time uh, and, and you and you sat in on a conversation, and then you kind of snapshotted that forward. Would we say that between 1950 and today, conversations between people have gotten substantially worse, or uh... or macro level, are they actually getting better? Are we being more more honest and and more authentic? You know, what's your view on that? Are are we are we getting That's worse a... at this? Rob, that's such an interesting question. And the question of like, what vectors are we measuring on is an important one. Because like um, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to Greece for the first time uh, for my honeymoon. And I, I, my non-negotiable was to go to Athens and stand on the spot where Socrates stood dialoguing about the, you know, the, the meaning of life. And when you look at Plato's dialogues and the quality of conversation, and the fact that these guys like basically memorized these conversations and would repeat them back to each other, like the the quality of that dialogue, there's really there's a reason why I called they're called the dialogues of Plato, unmatched. Now, much as you say, during 
uh, that period of time, they were also saying, boy, kids today. <laughs> right? Everyone was saying, right. there's never been a, t like, there's a, some great Twitter threads of, like, the history of kids today. We've been saying <laughs> kids today for a long time, right? right. Since, since there were kids. You're not wrong, however, Rob, to say the things that are includable in a conversation to be able to talk about um, feelings, right? To to be more vulnerable, to talk about, I mean, if we go back uh, 40 years to even talk about somebody's uh, sexuality, like whole groups of people were in the closet just to, to save their lives, right? And so the fact that these things are just at least for normal people, not a big deal to have at the periphery of the conversation to mention your partner and have them be of your gender or sex and have it not be an issue. I would say thumbs up humanity, big improvement. But in terms of like quality of thinking and quality of outcomes, I think we're the same as we've always been. Uh, so, you know, that, 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 uh, Judith, uh, Shulvitz quote, right? We're, we're, we've been around for 200,000 years, 40,000 years as modern humans, uh, a less than a hundred years, uh, in offices, right? Less than five years behind zoom screens as a matter of habit, right? And we have not really learned how to be, uh, any better at thinking, any better at being strategic, any better at being transformationally visionary than Socrates, Zeno, and Plato were, because we're basically the same as they are. Right. And we are, this is there's a reason why people are still reading the Stoics now. It's because Marcus Aurelius, ancient Roman emperor and deep thinker, has a lot to still tell us today about how to accept the challenges of being human and to continue to show up and and try to be better knowing yeah. that we're highly <laughs> limited. So I would say the same in lots of ways, better in some ways. And, uh, as you pointed out, Josh, really kind of a trash burning trash pile in others. In other words, I think your points, <laughs> I think your points are very accurate. The, the idea that we have to figure out how we measure it because I, yeah, I go back to caveman days and some caveman grunts to the other caveman hand me the rock right and they uh, mm. and they just know that oh that's sure. the hand me the rock grant and then the other one's like yeah. good good talk and really short meeting this was terrific <laughs> uh, we should have more like this <laughs> you know you See, handed me the this rock this is why i named my book good talk nut. right so <laughs> it's, 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 it's okay good talk. good talk it's a double entendre <laughs> but it's it's so easy good talk <laughs> oh man i mean not for nothing socrates was killed for talking Mm. Ah. <laughs> for yeah, right, he yeah. was he Good was point. put to death and accepted his fate yeah. by the state. He was he was state still executed happens, right? for yeah. It still happens for saying what you're yeah. not supposed Look to say. Look at Russia now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talking is dangerous. Right. Well, so on that note, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Speaking of good talk, this was a this was a, good, this, this, this was a good this was a great we... talk. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, we really, really, really appreciate you joining us. gentlemen, too. Thank yeah. you for having me. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to Invisible Machines. Don't forget to follow Invisible Machines wherever you get your podcasts so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they drop. 
You can also watch this podcast on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Thank you so much to everyone who listens to this podcast, and especially to those of you who leave comments, because we've received a lot of really useful commentary that has helped us shape this podcast as we move forward with it. Thank you, as always, to our producers, Elias Parker, Kate Timchenko, and our video editor, Michael Litvinov, for making this podcast look and sound wonderful. We look forward to catching up with you again next week right here on Invisible Machines. Mm-hmm.